in the local church throughout this next, uh, not, not only next year, but next five, ten years. And so we're going to dive into what that looks like and where our church is going over, over, the, over the next four weeks now. But before I do that, um, some of you know that I sit at Starbucks on Tuesday from four to six. It's in your, yeah, thank you, Michael shows up and hangs out with me. Um, but if you just have questions, maybe you have questions about our church, maybe you have questions about the mission of the church, our vision, our values, or maybe you just have quest theological questions, I love to chat about that stuff. Um, or if you just want to get to know me and the heartbeat behind the church, uh, join me at Starbucks in San Dimas, and I'd love to chat with you. So that's starting back on. It, we, I was off for a couple weeks because of the holidays, but I'll be there this Tuesday. Um, so, and this is a little prelude to my sermon today. Um, about a month and a half ago, I went to a seminar, and it was a church health seminar, and... There was two main speakers that spoke for these two days, and as I sat there, um, they kind of opened with this question. And I would love for you to ask yourself this question today. And the question was, was what do you really, really, really want? And I think that that's a great question. So he began to unpack that for us, and he talked about Mark 10, 51, where Jesus sees this blind beggar, and Jesus says, call him. And so this guy jumps to his feet. He's led to Jesus by probably one of the disciples. And this blind person in front of Jesus, is he's there, and the need's obvious. But then Jesus goes and says, says to this guy, what do you really want? What do you want? What can I do for you? And it forced this guy to actually answer that question. And so when I'm at this conference, I'm sitting there and I'm brainstorming and I'm, I'm like, I just start to write. And I started, and I, I was starting to think, what do I really, really, really want? Which is a question I think that God is asking every one of us this new year. What do you really, really, really want? Well, here's what I penned less than two months ago. What do I really, really, really want? I want a healthy, irresistible, center-set church that partners with the Holy Spirit that reaches the unchurched and dechurched in our community. And that's what I wrote and, and over this series, we want to kind of help, I want to help unpack some of that to you. What does that mean? What does that look like? What do I really, really want? I want a healthy church. I want an irresistible church. I want an irresistible church that, that, that people can't help but being attracted to the real Jesus. I want you to know. Not religion, not pharisaical um, rules and regulations, but the real Jesus, I believe, is completely irresistible. And if people were proclaiming a, the real Jesus, I think there would be this natural attraction. You can't help yourself when you face the real Jesus. I want a church that partners with the Holy Spirit. Where we're actually reaching our community. Those that are not only unchurched, that have no paradigm for the church. That the church is kind of left behind 
and now doesn't even look at, I want to reach those people. I also want to reach those people that have been hurt by unhealthy churches. Churches that got, where they got beat up and spit out. I want to be that church that reaches those people. And I want to, you know, and when that happens, well, you know what that is? That's the inbreaking rule and reign of God. That's the kingdom invading earth. And we see true community transformation happen when this stuff goes on. That's what I want to see. I want to help us unpack this. And um, as I was trying to figure out a way to summarize some of these thoughts that I've been having. And how do you summarize Vineyard Values? And, and what do you do? How do you kind of communicate that to the church in this new year? And um, I came up with this little kind of tagline for a year, right? And I was thinking about it, and then I, w I took it before our staff this last uh, week, and um, I was just, and they helped, they said, John, the, the wording, it's great heart, but the words are kind of maybe off. And so um, together we came up with this, and this is going to be our um, heartbeat for this next year, and you're going to hear this over and over and over again. We're going to do life together, and we're going to love outward. Life together, love outward. And so that's going to be our focus. And so when we talk about life together, we're talking about us being a healthy church that supports one another. And today I want to talk about community and the potential of community for any group that follows Jesus, the potential. And we're going to unpack a story today for you. And the other side is love outward. We want to give away our lives and love the community and love the unchurched and dechurched in our communities. So, Vision 2020, uh, today we're talking about being the fellowship of the mat. So there's this little book, and it's called the All Better Book, and what they did is they interviewed elementary school kids and they asked them some really tough questions. And some of these questions kind of like, like adults have a hard time answering them, but kids wrote their answers. And so I want, this is one of the questions that was asked of these elementary school kids. And the question was, with billions of people in the world, uh, in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one was lonely. What would you suggest? So in a world with billions of people, somebody should figure out how make, to make sure nobody was lonely. And so these kids answered, and here's, I'm going to give you three of their, their answers. Here's the first one. Here's Max, age nine. Make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it could say, how are you doing? And what's happening to you today? Okay, that's good, right? Make some food that talks, okay? Here's uh, Matt, age eight. You could get people a pet or a husband. <laughs> That's a good one, right? <coughs> now, the most heartbreaking one is a kid named Brian, and he was age eight, and he said this. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. Do you know that Every single person has been designed by God to hunger and desire and thirst true community. True community. 
and one of the great stories in the Bible about community involves a paralyzed man and his friends. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in the beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no, room, no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And so today I have a mat that I found in my garage. I could barely get to it this morning. But I have a mat today. And so four men arrive carrying somebody on a, a, a mat like this, probably three feet by six feet-ish. And this guy is paralyzed. He's been on this mat probably begging for years, maybe his whole life. Imagine what life was like 2,000 years ago for this man. A paralytic in the ancient world, his whole life, three by six, square, rectangle, not square, rectangle. A three by six rectangle his whole life, probably. Someone had to feed him, someone had to carry him, someone had to clothe him, someone had to clean him. Nothing can be done medically. There's no surgeries, there's no rehab, there's no treatment centers, there's not even wheelchairs. And anyone in this man's condition you automatically become a beggar. You're laid by the side of the road and you ask for money. There's, you had no job, no influence, no family, no social security. But guess what this guy has going for him? He's got friends. He's got friends. He has not just friends, he has amazing friends. And this whole story takes place because of the friends. Without the friends, he never meets Jesus. Without the friends, there's no healing. Without the friends, there's no forgiveness. The friends are the real, they're the main part of the story. They're the main actors. This group becomes what some have called the fellowship of the mat. They love, accept, and serve each other in the face of weakness and need. So here's the truth about us as human beings, guys. Everybody has a mat. Everybody, if you're alive, you have a mat. And the mat stands, this stands for a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. Brokenness, human imperfection that every single one of us have in our life. And it's a very vulnerable thing to let see people see our mats, isn't it? It's the areas that we're not proud of. It's the areas that, that, that kind of like we want to hide when we're telling our stories. It's a vulnerable thing to have somebody else carry your mat. But when somebody else is carrying your mat and you're showing your weaknesses, um, guess what? They actually might even drop you. Right? When somebody carries your mat and you're on there, what if they slip? What if they stumble over a rock and they drop you? But it's only by allowing others to carry your mat 
that you can receive help in life. Healing becomes possible when you have people that are willing to carry your mat for you. Um, every effective AA meeting is a fellowship of the mat. Every healthy church is a fellowship of the mat. Every healthy family is a fellowship of the mat. And if you want deep friendship, you can't always be the strong one. And you guys, I, I'm tempted to be like the one that like holds it all together. And, but sometimes I have to be the one to show you my mat and how damaged and hurt and unhealed my heart is at times. I, I'm used to carrying mats. But sometimes I need to be the one that shows my mat and says, help. I'm struggling. My life is messed up and my heart is wayward. Help. Sometimes we need to learn to let other people carry our mat. Verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed mat, man on a mat. They couldn't, here we go. they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. What? <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about that. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. One day, Jesus goes back to Capernaum, and these four men find out about that. These four men have a friend, and they hear that this famous rabbi is teaching in this house he's staying at, and they think, you know what, we can't just go there ourselves to hear Jesus. We've got to bring our friend with us. This friend that's bound to this mat, we're going to bring him with we can't just go by ourselves. And to get their friend there, it's going to be difficult. Logistically, right? Just getting their friend there is going to be difficult. They're, but they're not thinking of themselves, are they? They're thinking of him. Friends do that. Friends serve each other. And they get to the home of where Jesus is teaching, and it's packed. There's standing room only. Like, they can't even get near the door of this house where Jesus is teaching. Imagine that. Um, you know, did you know that Jesus was irresistible? Jesus really was irresistible to the community. Not the religious elite, not the temple elite, not the teachers of the law, but the average person. He was irresistible. They couldn't help but being attracted so these four friends and this man that's the paralytic, he's on this mat. They, they show up at this house, but it's packed. They can't get in. They can't even get near the front door. Standing room only. Jesus is so close. He's like on the other side of that wall. But they can't get to him. They had been so excited, but they're shut out. They're shut out. And then one of them says, how do we get our friend to Jesus? Now, I, I'm, maybe this didn't ha exactly happen the way I'm gonna think, I think it did. But in my brain, if I was one of the four friends, I'd be saying, how do we get our friend to Jesus? Let's brainstorm. There's no dumb 
answers. Okay, let's just brainstorm and think about how we can get our friend to Jesus. There's no such thing as a dumb idea here. Let's just brainstorm what, how could we get our friend to Jesus? So Jesus is in the middle of this house. It's packed. Nobody's moving away from the door. We can't even get near the door. What do we do? And I bet you the first response is, like, I wonder if we could use a chimney. I heard this guy named Nick uses the chimney a lot. Maybe we could use a chimney. And then, that, uh, oh, any other ideas? Oh, and if I was there, I would have been the friend that said, you know what we could do? We could use a huge slingshot and just go right over the heads of all those people that are in the doorway, and he'd land right over close to Jesus. He might land on Jesus. And remember, there's no dumb ideas here. And then the next friend probably said, well, what if we dug a huge hole through the roof? And then there's silence. Okay, any other ideas? <laughs> And then I bet you the paralyzed man on the mat said, uh, could you guys check the front door one more time? Maybe some people have left. <laughs> right? And so somebody finally says, okay. Guess the best idea is going through the roof. Roof idea one. Let's go. Now they're desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They are desperate. They decided they wouldn't let anything get in their way. That's amazing, guys. I want you to know, when you've got a friend or two that will do anything to help get you a little closer to Jesus, you, I mean, hold on to that. That is precious. That is amazing. And that is so good. But they are not going to let anything get in their way. So these men grabbed some ropes and they headed upstairs. Now, historically, we... It's hard for us to even understand this story because historically, we do know that many houses had stairs going up the back that would lead to almost like a patio area that would be accessible to the roof. So most likely, they climb up the stairs and they have to, with kind of this old patio, little patio area, and they get on top of the roof somehow with their friend, um, and so then, and, and houses were constructed with uh, wood cross beams. Um, and beyond that, um, there would be the houses themselves, they would have matting on the, the roof with, it was kind of like this reed matting with branches and dried mud in between. Okay, so most likely, that we're not talking about like roof shingles like we understand them today. It was uh, a thatched, uh, roof that was weaved together with mud in between, most likely, okay? So imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching, and suddenly there's a strange noise above us. And you hear people digging through the roof. And little droplets of dust from that mud are kind of falling on top of Jesus and his friends. And you see, eventually, like, some chunks of plaster from 2,000 years ago. Mud, dried mud is, like, falling down. Little bits of, 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 of reeds are falling down because they're making a big hole in the roof right above your head. And eventually, Jesus stops talking, and everybody looks down, or looks up, 
and there's this hole in the ceiling. And there's four pairs of hands making that hole bigger. Now, I always think, man, if I was the person that owned this home, and I said, Jesus, you can have a little meeting in my house, and you're the host, you're hosting this thing, and suddenly there's like a spontaneous skylight, you would be like, what's going on? Like, stop, are you kidding me? No way, like, do something, Jesus. But guess what? These men are too devoted to their friend. They're too devoted to their friend. A little roofing is not going to get in their way. They become roof crashers for their friend. Do you know that community gets built by servants and great community gets built by roof crashers? And if you want a life that's filled with what God has in store for you, you need people around you that will crash through roofs for you. You need it. Great community gets built by people like these four friends here. The Fellowship of the Mat, they possess and they implement an irrational commitment to their friends. And the key word there is irrational. It's not logical to put a hole through the roof for your friend, guys. But they're willing to no matter what. They go above and beyond. They're willing to crash through a roof for their friend. And the irony of the mat is that our mats are what we usually are least proud of and most likely to hide. We're often convinced that if people knew about our mats, they would stay away from us. They wouldn't want anything to do with us. But in reality, it's precisely our mats that form the connecting point to deeper friendship and relationship. And if you could get this, so most of the time we think that this is what separates us, and if people saw it, they would stay away from me. But what if our mat that represents our brokenness, what if that's the very thing that helps build community? And, and we got to pray for one another and support one another. What if this mat was the exact opposite of what we think? Um, a pastor named Joe, this is a true story, uh, his mat was sexual addiction. And he had wrestled with it for years. Um, he had confessed this to God over and over again. He prayed about it over and over again. He felt like the biggest hypocrite every time he taught on Sunday mornings. And so he met a guy named Henry Cloud. I don't know if you guys have Dr. Henry Cloud, um, famous author, speaker. He wrote a book called Boundaries. And um, he somehow Joe got connected with Henry and they had a meeting once a week where they would go support each other in their brokenness. And one day, um, Henry Cloud found out that Joe wasn't going to come to group. And Henry Cloud, famous teacher, said, Joe, I'm coming over. And so he, and, and Joe's like, no, stop, I don't, no, I don't want you coming over to my house right now. And Henry Cloud said, no, I'm coming over. Open the door, like he was out in his front door. And um, so finally, 
Joe let him in, and they chatted, and he found, they found out that Joe had had a relapse the night before. And he didn't want to go to group. He didn't want... And, and the issue with Joe was, Joe was very comfortable carrying the mat for other people. But he didn't like... He didn't want to share his mat with the group. He was so comfortable carrying the mat for others, but he wasn't willing to like open up and, and say, this is my struggle, this is me. He would every once in a while allude to something in group, but he never ever came, um, was honest with the group. And Henry said, you're going to group tonight. And Henry actually said, get up, put your shoes on, we're going now. Henry Cloud was a mat carrier that day. And they brought this guy named Pastor Joe to the group. And during, you know, during previous sessions, Joe's always kind of been real kind of reserved about sharing his own story. Um, and finally, he's there, and Henry Cloud said, well, it's time to open up, Joe. Share your story. And it was... It was painful for Joe. Um, he, he had so much shame built up, and uh, he, he saw himself as an utter failure. Uh, years of guilt, feeling like this biggest hypocrite. Um, and, you know, he had tried. You know, he confessed to God, and he would try to, to fix it on his own, and he could never do it. And so... He could, Joe could barely choke out the words in this moment, but as he stared at the floor, he couldn't look anybody in the face, and finally, he shares everything. He, he, he's, he's mumbling this stuff out, he's sharing his story, but he can't look at anybody, and he's just feeling small and little, and how, how could he ever, how could he ever be used by God? How could he ever... Like, like, just the shame and condemnation that he felt in this moment, even as he shared, right? He couldn't look anybody in the eyes. And so finally, Henry Cloud said this. He said, Joe, you've got to look up. And Joe's like, I can't. I'm too ashamed. And Henry said, you need to look at the eyes of everybody in this group that love you. And as he slowly lifted up his head, and looked at those sitting around the circle, listening to his story, every single eye was filled with tears, and everybody was weeping with him. All of a sudden, it was a fellowship of the mat. But it took Joe being able to say, here's my weakness, here's my struggle, here's the real me, help. That's what it took. So Joe, he raised up his head, looked at everybody, tears filled the room, and every heart was aching with Joe in that moment. And guess what there was none of? There was no shame, there was no condemnation, only compassion for Joe. That's beautiful. That's what it takes that's what friendship's built on. 
For the first time in Joe's life, you realize that he wasn't alone in his struggle. And that few people that were in this circle saw his deformity and chose to be his friends anyway. These mat carriers walked with Joe to a place of healing where he could never go on his own. Because he had tried for years, guys. In that moment, uh, Joe felt God's spirit in a very unique way. And he, there was another person that struggled 2,000 years before, uh, another crippled soul. And, and Joe heard these words that kind of mimic this person that Jesus met 2,000 years. He, he heard God's voice in the depths of his own soul saying, Child, your sins are forgiven. And Joe's addiction was broken that day. But he still had much work to do. Uh, confessions had to be made. New habits had to be formed. He wasn't finished yet, but the cruel force of addiction was broken over his life in that moment. Because that's the power of the fellowship of the mat. That's the power. That's life together. And guys, what if we as a church could go there this next week? What if we could be the fellowship of the mat for this world, for the people around you, for your neighbors? What if you could be the fellowship of the mat? Now Jesus looks up and sees the faces of these four friends staring down at, at him. And they have nothing to ask for themselves. Their only thought is, if we can just get our friend closer to Jesus. That's their only thought, right? That's what great friends do for each other. They get their friends a little closer to Jesus. And then, verse 5 says something amazing. I want you to know this, like, when I got this, I, I almost couldn't believe it's in Scripture, guys. And here's what it says. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith. It's, it does not say, when Jesus saw the paralytic's faith. No, when Jesus saw their faith, these four roof crashers. What did Jesus see? He sees a big hole in the ceiling and four faces that are sweaty and dusty and anxious and hopeful, thinking only about their friend. When Jesus sees that group of friends act on an irrational commitment to the well-being of one of its members, Jesus seeing their faith. What? Their faith. The friend's faith. Jesus seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now this man, it's, I, first when we read this, we're like, oh, Jesus forgave his sins. Where's the healing? Well, that's coming, but but I want you first to know that like the beginning of our healing is forgiveness. This man who has been mocked and judged by people that assumed he was his body was damaged was an indication that he was spiritually inferior. So 2000 years ago if you were sick and in this guy's condition everybody said, "Well, it's, there's you got a spiritual problem." So the greater like religious community there, they were like, he's got a spiritual problem. And when this guy is told by Jesus, you're clean, you're forgiven, you're right with God, it changed everybody's paradigm of this guy on the mat. Now we don't, as moderners, we don't 
we don't have that perception, right? Like we understand sickness and disease differently. But 2,000 years ago, they would have said, look at how sinful that man was. Verse 6. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Just as love is the ultimate expression of the law, lovelessness is the ultimate expression of sin. And this was the condition of the teachers of the law, who sat listening to Jesus, bringing no one to him. They had no love for this paralyzed man who needed Jesus. You guys, we can't be people that say that we love God and look down upon everybody else that God so deeply, profoundly loves. We can't. We can't let that be a part of our spirituality any longer. Now, I understand this because I fall victim to that same syndrome over and over again. I struggle with that same self-righteousness that plagued the teachers of the law. Like, I always say, like, I'm a recovering Pharisee because that, I, that was me. The judgment, the self-righteousness. I far too often have sat where they sat and disapproved as they disapproved and forget to pick up the mats of those around me and carry them to Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. What? He forgives sin, and then he, this man is healed. The man stands up, picks up his mat. I bet he folded it up so everybody could see, folds it up puts it underneath his arm, and he's, like, staring at his legs and feet. You're like, like, what? Like, are you kidding? What? He spent his whole life holding on to this thing, and suddenly never again. The world has enlarged from a mat that was three feet by six feet to as far as his legs could possibly run. The, his greatest gift, humanly speaking, wasn't his legs and feet, though. His greatest gift were his four friends, these roof crashers that were willing to do anything for him. Because there's no gift like the gift of community. Let's do life together. Let's do life together and then learn to love outwards. Life together, love outwards. The fellowship of the mat still exists, guys. And it's not an easy fellowship to be part of because people's mats are sometimes heavy and awkward. Sometimes they stink. They've been on that mat a while and they don't smell real good. There's a roof of busyness and fear and conflict that needs to be crashed through. But those who find their way and they become part of the fellowship of the mat, it's almost like when you get a taste of real 
Christian community, you will never, ever go back. It's almost like your heart keeps yearning for that thing because you tasted a little taste of what this paralyzed man, previously paralyzed man, had experienced. You had friends that were willing to crash through a roof for you. It's the fellowship of the mat where Jesus shows up. So, um, I think I've shared this story with you before. I don't really remember, but um, there was a missions trip that went to Mexico, and they had taught all the Bible stories, and they did all the songs and all the motions that, that, that this whole group of kids knew about. And they were kind of like teenagers. And in this orphanage that they were ministering to all these kids, they had prayed for the kids, and some of the, some of the people on the mission trip, had, they knew Spanish, and they, they did their best to share and love on these kids. A lot of it, most of the time, they were just playing and hanging out. Well, near the end, you know, the bus was ready to pick up, pick up these high schoolers to take them back to their church, and they were done with the mission trip. And um, they were kind of waiting in that last minute, and so finally... They, they looked at each other because they had a couple minutes left, and they said, let's do, like, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the door, see all the people. Have you ever done that one? I mean, it's so basic, right? Well, here they are, and they're teaching the kids, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people. And, and as they're doing this, they're teaching these, these little kids in this orphanage. There was one kid that didn't have a left hand. His hand was cut off right right, right below his, his elbow. And all of a sudden, you could, the people teaching the song, the high schoolers teaching these kids the song, panicked. <gasps> like, because they had been taught to, like, include all the kids. And so they panicked. What are we going to do? And they all looked at each other. And this boy, without a hand, he just naturally goes to his neighbor and they did they did this together okay and they, and they were the the missionary like they were there doing trying to serve and give and love and all of a sudden they do this with their neighbor open the doors see all the people i don't know how it works okay <laughs> <laughs> but what if this year we took the hand of the person next to us and we said, let's do roof crashes together. Let's do community together. Let's naturally like, move towards one another and be in each other's lives. Let's support each other like never before. Let's be the church. Let's be roof crashers for each other this year. And so this year we're going to push into that. We and, and the question is, do you, do you want to go there? It's, it's hard. Just so you know, we, Western society, they get close to community. They get close to this thing, and, and the difficulty of the mat will arise in your heart. Because guess what? We want to hide what is most ugly about us. But what if that thing that you feel is the most ugly, the most despicable thing, was the very thing that helped to lead you into deeper community? What if? What if there were people around you that were willing to carry that mat to 
for you and support you through that. What if? What if, God? So let's take the hand of the person next to us and be the fellowship of the master. Because we can do this, and we can do this well. So let me give you a couple practical tips today. Here's number one. Do not try to microwave friendship, parenting, or marriage. Do you know what that means? We, we often try to microwave this stuff. Those small little bits. As fast as we can. Uh, don't try to microwave friendship. You can't. It'll never work. Don't try to microwave parenting or marriage. You can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn in a hurry. Instead, I challenge you to be present, put your phone away, engage in a conversation, and connect and make eye contact. That changes everything, doesn't it? Um, it changes everything when we're really present in each other's lives. Present in each other's lives. It changes everything. Number two, who carries your mat for you at times? Who do you show your weakness to and struggles to? Who do you ask for prayer for? Who do you let see your brokenness? If you can't think of anybody, it's time that you show you choose humility and vulnerability, especially if you find you are always carrying the mats for other people. If you're the person that like loves to carry mats, it's time that you put your mat down and let somebody carry your mat. Okay? And I kind of fall into this way too much. I I love to carry other people's mats, but it's time that carries yours at times, okay? And that's okay. That's called a community. But it takes vulnerability and being real and authentic. Number three. Uh, the dominant community-busting device in our time is a rectangle with a plug on the back. This is where I get super practical. Um, the average American spends average American spends six hours, 43 minutes a day between your television, your phone, and other plugged-in devices. Um, now, I want to say, like, it's not like I'm asking you guys to unplug your TV, but I, I do, I think you need to ask yourselves, like, what am I doing with my life? Community, roof crasher-type communities will never be built when we're spending almost seven hours a day like disconnected from community, okay? So uh, I think we just need to examine ourselves, and this is a great time, the beginning of the year, how much are we just like zoned out, out of community? Um, and so, so think about that. Like, what does that look like? Process that. Um, if you've got some good friends, ask, do I spend too much time? You know what's a really big, a, a good sign that you're spending too much time? Whenever you make choices to push away community in favor of a television show or two, like you make a choice to not do that thing to engage with other people, you're isolating yourself from community, um, then there's an issue that you must tackle, okay? So, um, 
Robert Putnam said this, the major commitment to television and screen time viewing, such as most of us have come to have, is incompatible with a commitment to community life. It just is. So make the conscious decision on how much time you want to give to the virtual world. Uh, you have an incredible real life right in front of you. Enjoy it. On your deathbed, you're not going to wonder, I wish I watched that last episode of this or that. You won't. I quit the office. You won't, right? You won't care. But you will be thinking about, did I spend enough time with the people around me? Did I spend enough time with my church community? Did I spend enough time with the fellowship of Matt? Okay? So I encourage you to kind of be proactive here, to think and process, and then put some boundaries around that for you. Healthy, just healthy boundaries. And every once in a while, some of you need to make choices that are healthy for you, okay? Okay, last one I have for today. Sorry. Here's the last one. Join a vineyard community group. Um, our vineyard communities are together. They do life together. I'm a part of one that meets tomorrow night. I'm part of the Tabor's group. And I go there. We've had a couple weeks off now for the holidays. And then we go back, and guess what we do? We hang out together. We hear each other's stories. We talk about the Sunday sermon a little bit. And then we pray for each other. And guess what? That's beautiful. Like, there's every single week I, can re I receive prayer. There's something so healthy and good about that, people. And so some of you have said, well, I don't want to get a vineyard community because I just can't really, I don't have the time. Well, what if you took part of your six hours, 43 minutes a day, and you went to a group once a week that was an hour and a half long? What if that was you? What if this next year that was your commitment to being a part of a Ruth Crasher community that was willing to do that for you, but also for the people. You were willing to do that for the people around you. And it's going to take a commitment. So I want to encourage you, uh, in your communicator, under ongoing events, it actually says all the groups are right here. Every single week, it's right in front of you. Um, so there's a group. Uh, Sunday for young adults, and that meets twice a month instead of every week. All the other groups meet every week. And then you have um, Monday, hosted by the Tabers, Glendora, 7 o'clock. And then Tuesday, there's one hosted by the Shepherds, that meets at 6 o'clock. All you have to do is text them, call them, we'll call, we'll email them, and they'll send you directions, and you show up. The first week is awkward. You're like, what am I doing? What is this about? But guess what? Week two and three and four, you're like, how did I ever miss this in my life? How did I miss this? Uh, and then Thursdays, there's a community hosted by the Egan's, 630 in Glendora. And there's um, Ben and Michael have a group in Ontario at 7 o'clock on Thursdays. What if every single one of us were in that type of group? And guys, you don't have to do these groups. If you're connected in community elsewhere, awesome. Stay plugged in. But let me tell you, you need this in your life. You need people that will be Ruth Crashers for you. And the only way to get there is to spend some time 
developing those relationships. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Okay. Um, so get connected with new friendships that often turn into extended family. So Kate and I, our family, we have no family in, in Southern California. You know who our family is? You and our, our Vineyard community group. You're our family. And and that type of community will carry you through weakness and illness and difficulty and difficult moments where your mat gets exposed. So get involved and be known, okay? So we're going to sing a song here. And if you could, why don't you stand with me? Let's sing the song together. Uh, try to answer those two questions, and then after this song, we'll have. 